All right, Chavre, here we go. Let's, uh, let's learn some Torah together, let's learn some, some uh, Halakha together. So the topic of tonight is understanding Meiser. And I'll give a background and touch. There's uh, multiple layers to understanding Meiser. We'll touch the surface and then Bez Hashem try to get into some questions if people want to, people that are here in person can ask in person, people that are uh, on Zoom um, feel free afterwards either to chat the question or to um, to unmute yourselves and uh, and ask it in person. I guess in the meantime, if you have people in the background, please. Right now, I don't see, I, I don't hear anything bothering in the background, but just please uh, put yourselves on mute. Okay, so here we go. Let's first begin by understanding what uh, Meiser is not. Okay, so I find this fascinating, and I don't have a mahalach. I'm not sure exactly why. But very often, like the Gemara, the Gemara says, who's the Tana of the Mishnah? Who's the author of the Mishnah? And the Gemara says, it's not Rabbi Yehuda, right? Like Rabbi Yehuda, he, it's not Rabbi Yehuda. For some reason, the Gemara always finds a need to tell us who it's not before finding out who it actually is. So what's, what's not Miser? So what's not Miser is Tzedakah. Okay, what does that mean? The Torah obligates each and every Jew, no matter what their financial abilities are, to give tzedakah annually. How much is that? So, it's a third of a shekel. What does that mean in today's day and age? Let's talk uh, practical. So, I've seen that's anywhere from $3.75 up to $10, up to $25 approximately or so, according to the Badi Ashokhan, or Fai uh, apparently holds its, uh, its closer to uh, $25. This is annually. Okay, annually, which means every year there's a minimal obligation of tzedakah that a yid needs to give, and this obligation applies to everybody across, any adult Jew across the spectrum. That is tzedakah. Okay, that's a biblical, no, that's a biblical obligation of a person to use their finances. Okay, now, so what is miser? What's miser? Biblical miser is if you live in the land of Israel, you tithe from the new animals that grew into that, that were born into your flock. You would tithe from the produce. That's biblical miser. What is the miser that we give? What, what's the tithing, the financial tithing that we give? So the tithing that we give actually is a age-old minhag. It's an age-old custom in Klal Yisrael, sourced from verses in the Torah. We find, very often we find like asmachtas, we find things to lean this custom on, but it's not a biblical obligation in no way, shape, or form, nor there are some opinions that say it might be a rabbinic mitzvah. That's not the general approach that we take. The approach that we take is that it's an age-old custom in Klai Yisrael to give a tenth, to give 10% of all the money that we take home. Money, N- not other things, okay? So, it's interesting, when somebody converts to Judaism, they accept the, the one of the things that the that some of the things the Bezdin tells the person to accept upon themselves is the biblical mitzvahs, the rabbinic mitzvahs, and the minhagim, the customs of of Klal Yisrael. There are certain customs that are not some customs are personal, or some customs are family, some customs are community. The custom of separating miser is nationwide. Okay, it's nationwide. It's a nationwide uh, custom that we have. The Marami Rutenberg already was, uh, you know, we're going back a, a few hundred years. He was a Rebbe of the Rush from the times of the Rishonim. The Marami Rutenberg actually was taken captive and he died in captivity. Um, he didn't allow 
the Jewish community to redeem him. Um, there, there were many offers and attempts to, and he didn't allow it. He felt that if they would, um, that if he would be uh, taken out of captivity, that they would know that the Jewish community has funds and they would take other people into captivity. And ultimately he ended up uh, passing away. But he actually, in his letters to his Talmidim, to his students, while he's in captivity, he's already talking about this. This is going back to the times of the Rishinim. He's talking about the, uh, you know, the obligation, and the, but the custom that we have of, of separating Miser. Now, like we said, this is not an optional custom. This is already brought down in the, forget Rishinim, don't forget the Rishinim, but forget at this, to give the severity of it, this is brought down in the times of the Gemara. The Gemara in, in, in uh, Maseches Tainus, Daftes, page 9, the Gemara in Tainus already writes about Miser. So this is going back for, you know, this, this is uh, something that we as Klal Yisrael, we as Jews, are expected to be part of. And it, it's really a, uh, it's, it's a real obligation, but it's a, it's a custom obligation. It's, it's important to know what's what. Now, how are we to understand this custom? So if there's one overriding idea that we can pull away with, that we can walk away with, and we're going to keep going back to this idea. The idea is that as soon as money comes in, I have a partner. I have a partner who earns 10% of my income. That's what Miser is. Who's that partner? The good Lord. Hashem. Hashem is a 10% partner. So as soon as money comes in, I have a debt to Miser. I have a debt to Hashem. There are those, and I've mentioned this many times in Prakiyavas and other times, where my parents, Zechariah and Lerach, guided me, and this is what we do as a family. We have a separate bank account for our Miser. Okay, so my, if, when money comes in, the moment I deposit it, 10% gets, doesn't go into my checking account. 10% goes directly into this account, into this MISER account, because it's not mine. It's so much easier to write out checks because I'm not giving away my money. This is Hashem's money, and this is the way, this is, it's His, and this, there's a way that He demands that it be spent, and we'll touch on what, uh, you know, what sort of uses it's permitted to use, uh, to use MISER for. But it's like, it's like, as soon as money comes in, the bank account is owed Miser. Now, the reason why I'm framing it like this is, let's add a layer, is that Miser is different than other mitzvahs of this fashion. And I'll tell you what I mean. There are other mitzvahs where the halacha tells us you're obligated to spend up to a third for the mitzvah. Okay? Or up to a fifth of your money to do a mitzvah. So which means if I have $100 and I need to purchase an esrog, I look at how much money I have currently in my bank account, and I say, okay, so what percentage of that do I need to spend on my mitzvah? Now, let's say I just spent $6.5 million on some diamond because I'm a mishugana, and I decide I want to hold on to a diamond, and I don't want any cash. If I just spent $6.5 million on a diamond and I push it, only have $100 left in my account, no liquidity, the halacha still is, I don't need to spend more than a certain percentage of money that I have on the mitzvah. I don't need to. I don't need to spend more than 20% or a third on my mitzvah. It goes by what's currently in my account. This applies to many, many mitzvahs. Okay? I, I look at what I am now. By my sir, that's not true. 
By Miser, it's like when the money comes in, I have a debt to Miser. Because again, how are we understanding Miser? We're understanding Miser to be, I have a 10% partner in everything that I, in everything that I earn. And therefore, it's not only dependent on what's currently in my account, and I'm giving 10% of what I currently have, it's 10% of all the money that I take home during, the, uh, during this time. Now, what's incredible is we'll discuss... All the money you take home, all the money you take home after basically... Good. So, so we'll talk. We'll talk. Good. Yeah. Good question. And Hashem is giving us but, the 90%. Okay. You're, right. right. So, but he's letting us use the 90% as we see fit. The other 10% is not up to, you, to us to use as we see fit. Okay. Now, what's interesting is... That even though it's an age-old minug, the Gemara in Masechah's Taina says, you can test God with this. This is a well-known thing. You're not allowed to test God. Right? You could test God with, with Miser. Okay? Now, in order to test God with Miser, though, you need to create a place to put the 10%. So where do you put the 10%? In a separate bank account. Now, why, why am I sounding a little obsessed with a separate bank account? It's because of what Miser is. If I don't make a separate place to put my 10%, make it not a bank account, doesn't matter. But it has to be that this 10% is separated. Otherwise, it, the whole thing is not my sir. I can't assume I'm giving tzedakah and I know I'm giving more than 10%. It's like going into a business relationship with somebody and you're promising them a certain percentage and you say, you know, I'm, I'm just, uh, you know, just going to make sure to give you. That, that, what, what does that mean? What does that mean? We're in this. This is a this is a real agreement here. This is the way it works. Yeah. So there needs to. That's fine. That's fine. Nachon. But there has to be a place where this ten percent is designated for my partner. Exactly. But there has to be a direct ten percent. I have to place my ten percent somewhere the same way I'm giving it to my partner. Because ultimately, what is my sir? It's understanding that in everything that I bring home, all the money that I'm bringing home, and we'll describe what is considered money that's coming home, what, what falls into that category, ten percent of it belongs to Akadosh Baruch Hu, and there's parameters around how it how it uh, has to be used. Okay. Now. What's the source in the Torah? Again, we said this is an age-old custom, but where do we say? So remember, the, the, the verse says, Aser to Aser. Tithe to Aser. When it says it again, you should surely tithe. It's incredible. Something I saw recently. The Hebrew word to Aser is tough, ayin, sin, resh. Okay? Tough, ayin, sin, resh. I love these things. Get ready. What does it add? Get ready. <laughs> tough, is the numerical value of 400. What's 10% of 400? 40. What's the letter 40 in the, in, in the Aleph base? Mem. Mem. Hold on to that. So tough, 10% of tough is mem. Te'aser. Ayin is 70. What's 10% of 70? 7. Which letter in the Aleph base is 7? Zion. So mem Zion. What's the next letter of te'aser? Sin. Sin is 300. 10% to 300? 30. What's the letter 30? Lamed. Mem, Zion, Lamed. Last letter of te'aser is resh. 200. 10% to 200? 20. 20. What's, the, what's 20? Chaf. Mem, Zion, Lamed, Chaf. Mazalcha. Your mazal in life 
your mazal in life is when you take 10% of ta'aser. You take 10% of ta'aser, when a person commits themselves, when things that Hashem has given me, and I take 10% of it, this in a very strong way, very strong way, is mazalcha. It influences my own mazal, which means that this is one of the ways the Torah is hinting to us, you could test Hashem, so to speak. Hashem says, just follow me. Just follow this. You got it going. You got it, you know, you, you follow ta'aser, you got this, this mazalcha. You'll, your mazal is depend on whether you do this or whether you don't do this. So when a person takes miser, it's an insurance. It's an insurance policy on, uh, on uh, financial success. Now the tashbats, the tashbats writes, an incredible thing, the tashbats writes that as soon as I do this, and we're not going to uncover another layer of miser, ready, ready for this. He says, as soon as I do this, as soon as I do what? As soon as I separate my 10% and I put it in a place for my partner, who is Hashem, I now need to start using it. So listen to Tashbat. Tashbat says, you could be first in line to use it if you need. He says, let's say somebody's in need. Say, I'm not earning enough. I'm bringing home X amount of money per year. Let's put a a low number on it. Annually, somebody's earning $10,000 a year. So which means they're going to separate after taxes, they're bringing home $10,000. So they're going to separate $1,000. You say, listen, there's no way I'm going to get by on $10,000 a year. How in the world am I supposed to sep- am I supposed to take miser? Says the Tashbat something incredible. He says, separate your miser, make God your partner. But now you're poor, so you could be first in line. You gotta take care of yourself. So you use your own miser. But don't ignore the custom. Don't ignore the custom. Because it's an incredible idea. Because we know that we're soon we're gonna get into who you know who should I use miser for? We're gonna say family comes first. Right? Family comes first and then comes uh, things that you have responsibilities towards, things that you have gratitude towards, but you come before anybody. You come before anybody. So if you don't need, you don't take. But says the Tashbats, just because you can't afford miser doesn't mean you shouldn't separate it. Mazalcha, your mazal is dependent on this. So make God your partner, and then you look at that 10% and you say, okay, I'm also in need right now, so I, I, I could be first in line. I'm closer to me than my family. Closer to me than my parents, closer to me than my grandparents, closer to me than my children, as we'll see the, the, the order goes. And therefore the Tashbat says, separate the 10%. Always make sure that you have the 10%. And again, it's not enough to know that you're taking miser. It's not enough to know that you have a calculation of there's 10%. No, this is, this is, there's, a, there's a part owner in the business over here. There's a part owner in, uh, in the business, and that is HaKadosh Baruch Hu, And that... That partner in the business should have 10% apportioned into that, uh, into that account. Okay. Now, wh- where do I get this from? How we understand this? This actually is sourced in the Chavasiyar. Rabbi Yair Chaim Bakrak, who was a, one of the biggest paiskim from the 17th century into the 18th century, late 1600s, early 1700s. He says that actually the formula for Meiser is that you're taking an investor into your company. That's what he says. He says, this is what Meiser is about. Meiser is taking an investor into your company. He says, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, when you separate Meiser, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is investing in your company. 
And when I separate Meiser, I'm taking on God as my partner. And if I take on God as my partner, he's looking out for my success. Every investor, you put money into a business, you're going to want that business to be successful. And you can't have a real partner without having a place to put the money for that partner. You need an account for that partner. You need a place to put the money. Which, by the way, leads us to, so when do I start taking money? When should Meister be taken? Mark brought up. Is it the end of the month? When is it? So I'll, I'll touch on that now. We'll get more into this uh, a drop later, and we'll take some questions on this. But uh, um, one way to do it is, let's say somebody's if if somebody's uh, an employee, if somebody's an employee, Damn it. Why don't we if somebody's an employee, so um, <laughs> so uh, it, it could be more more simple. You take a paycheck and you, and you bring it home. But uh, let's say you have investments or dividends or things and you want to reinvest it in the company. So there's no perfect answer to that other than keep this in mind. When would I pay out my investors? At what point would I take when I'm using, you're not just going to keep money in there indefinitely, right? Whether it's every month, every few months, annually, whenever this specific investment that I'm involving myself in would be time to start paying out to investors, this is a good rule of thumb to know that this is when I should be separating mice or two. Otherwise, it's too difficult to know. I could always like calculate, oh, I'll wait to separate mice, I'll wait, and I'll reinvest it, and I'll reinvest it in the Dover Seif. There's no end to this. So a good way to know when mice should be separated for things like that is when I would be paying out somebody who's, uh, who's investing in my company. Now, this is a good place to start by viewing and knowing that HaKadosh Baruch Hu, when I separate 10%, God is becoming a, an investor in my company. And w- what is he, what is, what's God, so to speak, getting back by me giving to the poor, even though we know we're getting more than Hashem, but again, in this frame of mind, is the, is the 10%. You should know there are people are people, and this is not part of Meiser, uh, very su- uh, financially successful people who extend this idea of partnerships with Hashem into tzaddikim. I know people in business, they expand, they, they walk over to people who are studying Torah day and night, they walk over to Rosh Hashivas, whatever it is, Rabbeim, and they'll say, I want to take you on as a partner in my business. You're like a silent partner in the business. And that person, they actually give over 1% of the business, 2% of the business. They write up a legitimate contract. And this, this Rebbe owns 2% of all the investments of that business. Now, why do they do it? It's very simple. The same way you give 10%, you, have, you know God's looking out for success of, of, for your financial success. They do this so that you have tzaddikim who are showing up to shul, shachros min chamarev, and they're learning Torah. And what's going to be on their mind to make sure this guy is successful financially. Your success is my success. So they're giving up 2% of the business, let's say, right, to be spread about uh, these other, uh, these tzaddikim. But in the end, they know that you have so many uh, precious people and special people who are are partners with you. And they're looking out for your your welfare and, and the welfare of your business. Now, where does this come from? Where does this come from? It comes from understanding Meiser. It comes from understanding what is Meiser. I'm taking on God as uh, I'm taking on God as uh, an investor in in uh, my business. Okay. Now let's uncover the next layer, which is now that I've separated the ten percent. Now that I've separated the ten percent, um, what money? 
could be cons- what money should be considered miser, and also what could it be uh, what could it be used for, and and where does it go? So, the laws of miser are the same as the laws of tzedakah, and the laws of tzedakah are that um, at least fifty percent of the funds should be used. At least fifty percent of the funds should be used for um, for the poor. For the benefit of the poor, okay. Now, there's other areas of halacha when it comes to tzedakah that at least a majority of your money, fifty-one percent, should should be uh, in one's family and in one city. And people should keep uh, calculations with this, right? People should there should be an accounting and a calculation of uh, of about where where the money goes to. Now, it's it is important. And a person should try to the best of their abilities. I'll explain soon where the crossover is. But a person should strive to the best of their abilities to use at least half the miser money for the needs of the poor. However, um, the Chafetz Chaim amongst, you know, Chafetz Chaim is the early 1900s, but going back to already the Ramah in Yeridea lets us know that you, you could use miser on mitzvahs. You could use miser on mitzvahs. Now you can't use miser on pre-existing mitzvah obligations. So if I have a pre-existing obligation, I'm not allowed to use my miser for that. That is called my personal, that is something that's called uh, my personal expense because I have a pre-existing obligation to use the money for a mitzvah. So therefore, what would be one example? An example of a mitzvah is, let's say somebody has young children at home. So can you use miser to support young children? Now, you could say, listen, every yid, it's chesed to take care of them. So why should somebody's child be any different than somebody else's child? The answer is because you as a parent have a pre-existing obligation to take care of this kid. And therefore, since you have a pre-existing obligation, one, uh, and you actually would fulfill a mitzvah of tzedakah by taking care of this child, but this expense should not be deducted, uh, should not be deducted from ISER. And therefore, in a society such as ours, where it's very common for Children, even as they get older, they don't start working when they're 10 years old and helping out on the farm when they're 13 the way that it used to be. You're going out and earning money. Now it's, it's very common for, uh, for children to not work until, let's say, their mid-20s, whether they're in school or yeshiva, whatever it is. So one should not be supporting them if possible, if possible. Again, you could put them in line the same way you can get in line for your miser. You could put them in line for your miser, but ideally... One should uh, not support them with miser kesavim, with uh, with uh, uh, money of miser. Also, if a person makes a specific financial commitment, so miser money should not be used. This plays out in a very interesting way when it comes to, let's say, you have. Um, uh, well, let's talk about tuition before we talk about anything else. So there's a there's an obligation for a father to teach his son Torah. It's an obligation in the Torah, which means that tuition expenses are a pre-existing obligation. You're not allowed to use miser. Anything that's not a tuition expense, though, you would be allowed to use miser. So let's talk about both ends of the spectrum. We'll talk about those who get tuition breaks, and we'll talk about those who get pay full tuition. Okay? So tuition, in the, at least in the world of yeshivas, is a very unfair system, we'll call it. And that the price of tuition very often will be inflated for those who can afford it because there are, there's a very high percentage of people who cannot afford 
to pay tuition and therefore to cover the budget, yeshivas will raise their expenses. So, so you can have somebody who, um, who uh, you know, is here to pay full tuition, call it $18,000 a year. Somebody else is paying much less. So what you could do is you can go over and say to the, uh, you know, you could say to the board of the school, and this has to be an agreement, you could, but this doesn't need to be agreed, I'm sorry. You could say, listen, practically speaking, what does it cost to have my child? Whatever it costs to have your child, you're not allowed to use MISER for. But anything that's above that expense for your child really is a donation to the school. It's really what it is. This is, I'm paying this extra money to cover some other kid's tuition. And there's no question you're allowed to use MISER to cover another child's tuition. Okay? So that's on one end of the spectrum. If somebody's a, a full tuition paying parent. What about somebody who's, who's uh, get, receiving a tuition break? So I'll tell you something that would be very menschlich, something that would be very nice to do, which is you go, you go to the school, you say, listen, this is what I'm capable of paying. I have a, a, a pre-existing obligation as a father to ensure that my son learns Torah. That's my responsibility as a parent. You know, from my regular expenses, I could afford $3,000 a year. Okay? If you don't mind, instead of you deciding to charge me $7,000 a year, which is going to very much strain the bank, how about this? We come to a $3,000 a year commitment, and I'm going to pledge $4,000 a year of my MISER as a donation to the school. Now, why does that work? Is it a loophole? Is it a trick? It's not a trick. I'll tell you why. Because as long as you're not signing on and they're agreeing that your tuition should be $3,000, your tuition is $3,000. You don't have to cover the other $4,000. It's a trust thing. It's trust, right? It's the same as, as uh, uh, you know, pledging the money to a, to a, to a shul, to a kiruv, whatever it is. So I'm pledging this money. But since I have no pre-existing obligation of the additional 4000 out of the 7000 so $3,000 I'm not allowed to use my for. That's my tuition. But the additional money, according to a lot of poskim, as long as you get the board of the school to agree, and this would be menschlich, because again, the reason why it's menschlich, because it, when, uh, it, it's, it's important that whenever a school gives a tuition break, that a, a family does whatever's within their abilities to, to keep funneling funds as much as possible to that organization that's taking care uh, that's taking care of your children. And by the way, one of the organizations, one, one, uh, when we, when we uh, touch on, we're not going to get full depth into it, but we touch on priorities in tzedakah, one of the priorities after one's own personal uh, self and one's personal family, another priority when it comes to, uh, when it comes to tzedakah is uh, a maised, an institution that you, your spouse, or your children receive the Torah education from without paying full tuition. I'm now responsible. I went. I, I attended this yeshiva. I attended this cheder. I attended this school. My wife attended this school. My children are attending this school, and the the school is is uh, giving a break. So now, you know, even when my kids are no longer in the school, I should do to the best of my ability. I now have a karasatayv that becomes a priority in in my tzedakahs. But again, at least fifty percent. One should strive at least fifty percent go to the poor, and then after that, it the the other fifty percent. The other, or we'll call it, uh, yeah, the other 50% should, should uh, one of the priorities in tzedakah is that it goes to an institution that, that has helped out my family. I know of, a, I know of a, uh, an incredible uh, person, I'm not going to say his name, but it's a, it's a father of somebody who lives here locally. Father, so he, um, he kept an exact calculation of what tuition was annually for his kids. 
and what the, the school charged tuition. And even after the kids were well out of school, made sure that his tzedakahs primarily went to those schools until he reached full tuition. And even then afterwards, he still kept up that kar but he wanted to make sure, like, right now, can I afford full tuition annually? No. Kind of hard, you got a big family, you're not going to be able to pay full tuition annually. But that, because you can't do that, and that mice, that, that organization is accepting your child, that becomes now one of your priorities in tzedakah, even after, uh, even after the family has, uh, even after the family has uh, moved on from, uh, from using that mycid, you, you know, you, for, for, their, uh, for, for their growth. Okay. Good, good. So we'll see, we'll see, we'll see how that how that pans out. That's a good question. That's a good question. Okay. Now it's also noteworthy. We're talking about a father being obligated to to uh, teach his son Torah, which includes tuition for school. It is noteworthy that according to the Grismaisha, according to Grismaisha Feinstein, he writes that a person's in today's day and age is obligated to send his daughters as well, even though there's no uh, there's no direct obligation to to teach one's uh, daughter Tyra, but um, uh, nowadays, where uh, the the currents of society very much uh, impact our youth, so uh, a father is obligated to pay for his daughter's Torah education, uh, even if you know according to law doesn't have to, or it's not Torah. Just to you're still obligated to make sure that uh, your your children you know are, are impacted and influenced by a path of Torah. So so uh, you know nowadays it would seem that the same thing would apply to girls' tuition, that it would be considered a, uh, uh, it would be considered a pre-existing obligation. Okay. What a, let, let's move on to the, the kids are now a little older. All right, kids are now a little older. So we're, we're talking about marriage now. Let's say, let's say you have uh, somebody in their 20s or 30s, they want to get married and they reach out to their parents for help. Yeah, they want to help uh, to pay for a wedding. So you're allowed to use tzedakah money to help pay for somebody's chanasas uh, kala. You're allowed to tzedakah money to pay for somebody's wedding. Uh, can a parent use tzedakah money to pay for a wedding? So it depends. It's going to depend. Again, if the children are at an age where they could be independent, so they could become a priority in tzedakah, unless one has already have one, one already has a pre-existing obligation to, let's say, the mechutanim. The other side. So, if uh, you know you have, a, let's say, you have a young man and a young woman that meet, and the parents sit down. They say, "We're going to give X amount." It's important that the parents don't create. If they plan on using their miser money, don't create a firm pre-existing obligation upon themselves. Otherwise, this is now your regular family expenses that cannot be deducted from miser. However, if you say, however, if you say that you know, you know, to the best of my ability, I'm going to try, or I'm going to be using my miser money for this. So then it's a priority in tzedakah. And you absolutely are allowed to, uh, you absolutely would be allowed to use, to use my shemai. But the same thing holds true with mitzvahs. Again, like we know, like we learned when we were going through Hilchas Purim and Hilchas Pesach, when it comes to Matanas Lev Yainim, gifts to the poor on Purim, that's a pre-existing obligation. So you don't use Meiser for pre-existing obligation. Mois Chitim, pre-existing obligation, you're not allowed to use Meiser. Anything above that amount, 
above that amount of the mitzvah would be uh, you would be allowed to use to use miser. Now this plays out in a fascinating way. There's a fascinating machlekas in the uh, and conversation in the paiskim about using miser money to give another uh, to give another Jew income to give income to another Jew. Am I allowed to use miser? This is a very uh, common shaila, uh, a common question that uh, that arises, and it seems. Tell you the approach that we have again to Machoikis, but the, the approach that we have is that and I believe this is from Rabaran Cutler who said that any services that you would be willing to pay for, whatever amount that is, that's considered uh, your regular home expense. Anything that you would not have been willing to pay for, you could deduct from ISER. So, according to this approach, according to this approach, if I have work that needs to be done in my house and there's somebody who's going to charge me $250 to get it done and there's another yid who is offering me the same service and I know I know that they need the parnasa I know they need the income and they're going to charge $350 so according to this approach you'd be permitted to use the extra $100 not the full 350 but because the going rate and the, what you could get for the same quality service is two fifty. Now you're paying the extra three, the extra hundred dollars to give another year to parnas in a way, in a in a respectable way. So it would be permitted to take that that extra amount. Now this uh, this approach applies to a number of things now because it's not only in in one's house. This applies that you know there's many times where organizations will have an event or a or a school dinner or a shul dinner or you know a, a fundraising campaign where you get something back. You know there were there were you know there are certain uh, auctions if you donate up to uh, you're a five hundred dollar donor we'll give you a set of linen. Uh, you know, or whatever it is. So you'd be like, oh, I got a free set of linen. I would have paid 150 bucks for the linen anyway. Uh, you know, for uh, two beds of linen, high quality, whatever it is. Okay, so now can you take the full 500 from your miser or not? So again, this is a very personal, it's a very personal thing. If I say, I don't need linen, I don't want linen, I get in tug, linen, linen can have a good day and I don't even like what it looks like, so then your full 500 is coming from ISER. There's no problem whatsoever just because they're offering that to you. It's much, it, the schar is on, the, you know, the, the gain is on the side. What about the $100 dinner I don't really want? Huh? Okay. I don't really want the $100 dinner. Okay. Okay. Very good. Very good. But if you would, but if you I would, but would you pay, but you'd pay 30, you pay 30 because you're from St. Louis. Because you're from St. Louis. Mark, we are so lucky we live here without any restaurants. You're lucky. You go to any city. You want to go on a date with your Rebbitson? You're dropping $300 easy. And we're still clutching about $100 dinners. Dinners are up to $200 elsewhere. We're not. <laughs> what if you decide that you want to give that linen away? Okay, use, that's fine. Okay, so that's also tzedakah. You're going to give it to somebody who could use it. You can need it. So the same thing would, the, the same thing would hold true. Okay. What if you create okay. a job for something you don't really need or wouldn't really Also, but you have to, you're, you're going to have to use the services. You're going to have to use the services um, that you've received and, and deduct that. Whatever services you receive Whatever need to be deducted. Really yeah, okay. and then extra you give. Now here's another interesting uh, um, conversation that's had in the Pisces, and I'll tell you how we, what, the, 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 what we ultimately follow. And that is what happens if I receive a gift in a non-monetary form. 
So monetary gifts, it seems the same minig applies to monetary gifts, okay? So if somebody were to gift $100, you should take take $10 and give it to tzedakah. Even if somebody were to give me a $100 visa gift card to be spent wherever I want, you have to separate uh, miser from that because that's, that's basically cash. It's basically cash. However, if somebody gifts me something that is non-money, so even if it were to be a car, somebody gifts a valuable car, somebody gifts a dining room table, somebody gifts a well, estate, whatever, we're, we're done, we're moving on, we're buying a fancier thing, whoever wants, go ahead and take. And you now got something that has a nice amount of value, if you were to sell it, the minig of, the minig of Meiser does not apply to objects. Okay? And there are those that say it doesn't even apply to limited gift cards. So if somebody gives me a gift card to a specific store where I'm limited to what I could use it for, that's not really considered cash either. That's not considered cash either, according to, to a lot of Paiskin. What about the the, the min, also, that's not, no. Yeah, yeah. Money? The Minigov Meister is with money. It's with money. Money for a car. Let's say. My parents oh, say very good. So now, so now, the next layer of this is what happens if somebody gifts me money specifically for something? The answer is also no, no obligation of miser. Also no obligation. You know why? Because I'm stuck using it for that. So why, how does this play out? This plays out beautifully. Let's say you have, you have uh, uh, siblings that are taking care of uh, a sibling or parents that give money to a child to go buy a, a, a uh, Shimmy's here with, with Mark, right? So Shimmy, you, you say, uh, you say uh, Dad, you say, uh, Abba, Daddy, Daddy. Daddy. You say, Daddy, um, uh, you know, I'm going to Schnucks. I want, uh, can I, you know, I want uh, $4 to buy a candy in the kosher aisle. There's really cor- cool candy. And your dad happens to say, you know, Shimmy, Mamish, you're tzaddik, you're so helpful, here's $4. Do you have to take 40 cents for Meiser? The answer is no, because the money is given you on condition that you use it for a specific person, purpose. You can't go buy cigarettes with that, right? You can't go buy cigarettes also because you're under 18. Um, but he does but, need uh, to give his father a piece of candy bar. You have to give, your, uh, you have to give 10% of the candy to your father, you don't need to, <laughs> right? So that doesn't need to be done, that doesn't need to be done either. So, so uh, money, so this plays out also, with parents that are supporting their children, whether they're in kolel or in college and all these things. So do children now need to separate their own miser? So the, the answer is no. The answer really is no. I asked this to my father, you know, uh, when, when, I was, uh, when I was in Eretz Yisrael, you know, my father's like, who are you to give miser for my money? I'm like, well, this is, I, I misered this money. This is not, you don't have to do it. So, so why is it? Because as long as he's supporting me, as long as he's supporting me, a family is a family, okay? We're all doing the same, we're all using the same money. As much as, you know, there's a, a, a well-known athlete, that is, there was a clip that went out, Shaq, famous basketball, Shaquille O'Neal, famous basketball player. There's a clip that went out, one of his kids was schmoozing, he videoed his kid schmoozing with a friend, and his kid was boasting how rich he is, Yeah? And he, he's like, he's filming his kid talk like this. At the end of the video, he looks at his kid and he says, we isn't rich, I'm rich, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, but to an extent, the MS is like, when you, 
you're right that the parents are in charge of the finances, but it's a, it's, when you're part of the family, you're all using the same funds. It's the same thing. So as long as, as children are, are dependent on parents, it, they're, being, they're, they're sitting at the same table, even if living at a different city. But sitting at the same table, the same way if you'd be living in my house, here's money for, what, for your needs. You're, you're sitting in a different city, and you're in yeshiva, you're in college, you're, you're here, there. It's, but it's the same money, so then there's no obligation to separate, uh, to separate tzedakah. But this has nothing to do with that you're limited to how you use the funds. This is just that it's all considered the same pot still. So that, that's... You know, that, that's one zakh. It's still the same pot. However, there's another part of it where if I'm limited to what I need to use it for, then we could say, perhaps at times, ask a shayla, because there might be variables to this, but the same way I don't need to separate miser from objects and things, I also don't need to separate miser from, if somebody says, instead of saying, Here, here's a dining room table, somebody says, here's $2,000 for a dining room table, they're technically gifting me a dining room table. And therefore, there's no obligation to, to separate Meiser uh, from that either. What if I hire one of my kids to do yard work? Okay. Do they have they have Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. That's earned income. income. That's earned income. And they should, sep- they should uh, separate Meiser. And we should treat our children from a very young age to, to separate Meiser and show them. Show them how... Uh, by the way, another thing that we started out this year today, the importance of not calculating the 10%, but setting it aside like... Taking 10% and just giving it to their bunch of It's a separate bank account. It's a separate place. It's a separate spot. It also allows us to see where the, where the mazalcha comes from. You know, like we said earlier in the shir, ta'aser, 10% of the gematri of ta'aser, of each letter is mem zayin lamed chof, mazalcha, ar mazal. When you separate 10%, you'll see. You'll see it, mamash happens. I've seen it. Some, I've seen it personally. In, uh, you know, and uh, people who give more tzedakah and are more uh, and, and have a, a bigger schos giving tzedakah, the, the, the stories are kamada ma'isa b'chol It's stories that happen uh, that happened uh, every day. I've, I've had them just uh, in, in my own life. I've, I've shared in, in Perkei Elvis, but one specific one that it's happened multiple times, one specific one that like to the dollar was freakish. It was like, it was scary. It was, um, it's got, it must have been eight summers ago when I was um, before I had the, the day camp here. So I worked in Camp Bonham. And before the summer, I realized that there were a few months of miser that I hadn't taken. And it added, it was, I, I tried to get rid of the miser at the end of each month. Why, why am I holding on to miser for other people? <laughs> give it out. I tried to give it out at the end of each month, just, you know, uh, empty it. So um, I saw there was um, $1,620 in miser money in my miser account. So, and we were heading out of town. So I quickly wrote out checks to four different organizations, equaling 1620. I knew I was going out of town and I wasn't going to be here to deposit checks or write out checks. At 1620. Okay, fine. Seder. We go to camp. Middle of camp, Rabbi Rosenberg Schlita from Scranton. He was at the time the executive director of the Scranton Day School. Maybe he still is, maybe he's not, I'm not sure. Uh, Rabbi Rosenberg, so he, um, he asked me if I would buy a raffle ticket to the Scranton Day School uh, raffle, whatever. I was like, sure, how much is it? So he told me it's like $5, $10. I was like, here, fine. Buy a raffle. Somebody else told you, buy a raffle for my yeshiva? Buy a raffle for your yeshiva, whatever. You know, fine. Isn't the hate. You completely forget about it. Okay? We come back home six weeks later. We start the school year. It's right before Sukkot. And Rabbi Rosenberg calls me. And he says, 
He says, Menachem, I have good news for you. I said, what's the good news? He says, remember the raffle ticket you bought for me? And I said, no. Because I didn't remember it till the story happened. I was like, no. He's like, yeah, I sold your raffle ticket for like $10. I said, okay, fine. He's like, well, you won. So I said, what did I win? I didn't even like know what the raffle was for. So he said, well, you won two round-trip tickets to Eretz Yisrael. I said, wow, that's pretty cool. I said, you know, Rabbi Rosenberg, I'm not really going. Uh, two round-trip tickets, Baruch Hashem, we already have a few kids. Um, you know, uh, I'll see when I can use this. He said, well, if you want, you can take the cash equivalent. So I said, what's that? So he said, $1,800. So I said, all right, that works better for me. I said, you know what, keep the miser and just send me the rest. What I got a check for? 1620 <laughs> Right, 1800 He kept 180 for Miser. They sent me a check for 1620 So at the time, I had known right before I left for the summer. Right before I left for the summer, I had known I'd written out these checks. I'd come back, and, it, and it's right there. Now, how would I know? Because it's in a separate bank account. It's separate money. It's their Rabbanu Shalom's thing. Okay, this is just a small thing that took place eight years ago. I've had more incidents. And anybody who gives to you see, Venosno, it goes, it comes back, it's this. But if, if we just estimate these things, we're not going to be able to see the Yad Hashem. We're not going to be able to see mazalcha, how, how my mazal financially mamish is, uh, is influenced in, in, uh, in, that, in this fashion. Okay. You can see it if you're retired. If you're retired, you see it stronger. Oh. Okay. One day, Bezashem. <laughs> Mark, Mark's, Mark's ready. Mark's ready. All right. So here we go. So. Let's, uh, let, let's uh, give one more layer to this, and then we'll, then we'll take some questions. So the general rule, the general rule is that, as, as we mentioned before, anything which is a fixed obligation, let's say to me, my family, to my mitzvahs, so that should come from my personal funds. It comes from my personal funds. Um, and uh, my should usually be donations that I give on my own, on my own uh, volition, on my own, my own decision. Tzedakah money in general, which includes Meister, should primarily be used for poor people or to organizations that, that uh, the poor people um, are able to make use of. So even if you have an organization, it could be um, like it could be a yeshiva. Okay? So people need to give their children Torah education. It could be uh, pretty much anywhere across the, the Torah community. There's going to be people in need, which if you make a donation to that organization, there's going to be poor people who are making use of those services and need the services. And hence, even those types of mitzvahs could be considered a priority because the poor do need those services. And it, you could say that it's a chilek. They have a chilek. They, they have a part of the money that's being given, uh, being given as well. Okay, now let's go through some general ideas. Can I use Meiser when I, when I uh, get called up for Naliyah and Shul, or I make a Misha Beirach, or it's Yizgar, and I want to pledge uh, money to Tzedakah? So if at the time that I purchased the Aliyah, if at the time that I made the Misha Beirach, at the time that I made a Kel Malay, I had in mind that I'm going to do so using my Meiser money, so this is called a discretionary mitzvah. This is, not a, a, this is not an obligation that I previously put on myself. But if at the time that I got the Aliyah, at the time that I made the Kel Malay, I placed an obligation. I said, "Ani bli neder yitain, you know, mea dollar, you know, bad beisakneses bavuram." So now I, I created a personal obligation. I created a debt upon myself, and my money cannot be used anymore. So it's always important to keep in mind, or you could say this ahead of time. You could say, "From here on forth, whenever I make a pledge to a shul or whatever it is, I intend for this to be my miser. But it has to be the intention, again, because otherwise it's a pre-existing obligation. The same 
the same as uh, the the same as a mitzvah. Now, uh, obligations like we mentioned before also are money you take home. So, what's money I take home? So, money I take home is post tax. It's after taxes and it's after expenses. One of the the gray areas we'll call it is there are some things that are tax deductible and aren't considered income that people will come and ask. And I had somebody ask and say, listen, you know, I really get, I really earn a certain amount of money. I'm, I'm a sole proprietorship, uh, you know, and I've got my own, I've got my own business, but I have all these tax deductions for my lunches that I eat out with clients. You know, so I'm, I'm not paying tax on it. It's considered business overhead and it's not considered income. But as far as my miser, do I need to consider it income? It's an interesting child. It's an interesting question. Tax code doesn't like that anymore. Uh-huh. Tax code doesn't like it anymore. Tax code doesn't like it anymore. Okay. Maybe if they don't like it, but people are still doing it. People are still doing it. But something like that where you're personally gaming from, it's, the lemaisa, this is a minug. This is a custom. And if I'm not bringing home cash, and this is how it works with business, and it's a business expense. That's what I would say. This is a business. You don't need to take miser. This is not considered take-home money. This is, this is you know, that's, that's something that chalks up to the business. Now, if you want to be machmir on it, you want to be strict, I can hear why people want to be, you know, uh, want to be strict on it. But Lemais, like we said before, it's, it's, it's money that a person, uh, money that a person uh, takes home. Okay, so we discussed alias and shul. What about, um, what about burial? What about burial? So a person should not, is not allowed to use miser funds to purchase their own cemetery plot. Um, however, obviously, you could use miser to purchase a burial plot for somebody else, which is one of the one of my favorite stories of all time. Rabbi Yitzhak Zilberstein tells over that he was davening. They must, he said, I think he said they were in their twenties. He was davening next to Rabbi Leib Steinman, Zecher Tzadik V'Kadosh Levracha, during the Yom Neiram. I think he said it was Rosh Hashanah, and right before right before Kriyas, uh, right before Tkiyah Shaifer, before the Shaifer was born, he said Rabbi Aaron Leib turned around with this huge smile. He was like trying to like dance. He was like like you could just see like he was like up. He was up, and he says Rabbi Aaron Leib Steinman tells Rabbi Yitzchak. He says Rabbi Yitzchak. He says my Nagashmius. I'm sorry. He says. Yenem's gashmias is my neruchnias. Somebody else's physical needs is my ruchnias. That was like, that's like where he was living at that moment. Yeah, he's thinking about others. He's thinking about like, yeah, what, what, I give you something, that's your gashmias. But your gashmias, this is my ruchnias over here. This is what I'm, I'm gaining for. So things that to me, myself and I, there's no miser for. For you, absolutely there's miser for. Because now you're, this is my ruchnias. This is my ruch, this is my spirituality. My own, my, my own burial plot? No, it's my own, my own expense. Your burial plot? That's my ruchnius. This is my sir. This is a mitzvah now. Right? This is uh, my own kid's tuition? That's my achrayas. That's my gashmias. Somebody. Yeah, but you could use my sir for that. You could use my sir for that. So, so let's, let's touch on that for a moment because the mice are running out of time already. And uh, yeah. Let's say you pay taxes. And then at the end of the day, you owe taxes. You know, like the like so you could, kids. I, so the, I, I you know, you're asking, can you lend money to Miser, so to speak? If no, you, you paid you extra into Miser, could you take it back? Uh, I guess so, yeah, maybe. Yeah, but absolutely. Miser, and then all of a sudden, at the end of the year, the government wants but to vote. You could loan money to Miser. One of the things that uh, I want to touch on, but we're, we're getting to the end. Uh, we're, already, right. we're already a little overtime. The Chafetz Chaim, the Chafetz Chaim writes that when a person splits up their tzedakah, 
says you should take a third of it and use it for a free loan society. He says, even though the person is not going to keep it, the person is not going to keep the money, however, to, he says you could, do, you could do many, many mitzvahs, and uh, you, know, you, you lend money to somebody, uh, $100, $500, $5,000, $50,000, and that money is paid back, you use it for somebody else. He says what you're allowed to do with miser money is either open up your own gemach, your own uh, free loan society, or put the money into a, a free loan fund, um, which the shul, uh, a few members of the shul have just started one really? uh, recently. We're uh, it's being mm-hmm. it's officially already kicked off, but uh, I think the, the checks are arriving to, to ma- make it active. But it's already uh, established. And um, uh, he says even though it's not going to be used up by, uh, by Aniyim, um, but it, the, it goes back into the fund, and he could reuse and keep going for and keep doing the mitzvah. So, so uh, miser could be used, could be used for loans. Touching on this topic, and then I'm going to get back to this. What happens if somebody doesn't pay back a loan? This is interesting. It's very interesting. If somebody doesn't pay back a loan. Can I say it's miser? So it seems the paiskim don't like it so much. It's interesting, unless you stipulated beforehand. Like I, I've shared, my, my parents gave me a few financial rules when I got married one of them was never borrow money that you can't afford to pay back by that Shabbos otherwise ask for a handout swallow your pride and ask for a handout but never borrow money you can't pay back by that week as my parents told me Okay, otherwise you're just opening up a can of worms and another thing they told me is never lend money to people that you can't afford to lose so the moment you lend money to somebody Assume it's gone. That's what I do. That's what I do. There's a tremendous mitzvah to lend money, but you also need to take. You also need to protect yourself, right? So if you lend at the time you lend the money, you have in mind that this is really this is really tzedakah. I don't mind it being tzedakah. If they pay me back, they pay me back. Stem beseder. But if this taka alone, this is a real loan. I'm not giving it to you. So then after the fact. To just be Michalit and to say that this is Miser is is not falling into how we started this year of understanding Miser, that Hashem is a ten percent partner. That's not how it works. This is not set aside. So what they say what the Paiskim say to do is to cover your bases. Is let's say I lend somebody a thousand dollars and they're not paying me back. They're not capable or whatever, they're just not paying me back. And I'm ready to I'm ready to say, you know, so what you could do is is give them a handout. Walk over to them and say, here's another $1,000 for you to pay me back with. Now they've actively given you the $1,000. And when you gave it to them, that becomes, you know, that becomes your, your miser. You, you, act, you, you, know, you acted on it. Now you do run a risk of them holding on to it too. Okay, you, you, do, run the, you do run that risk. But the vice can say that's a, that's a, a much stronger way of, uh, it's, a, it's a much stronger way to covering, uh, yeah, to covering your bases. What if you co-sign? What if you co-sign... And, and the other person falls through. Yeah, and okay. it's forty-five thousand dollars. Okay, so don't co-sign. Yeah, but no, can you use I'm just, <laughs> no, I, I'm just saying it isn't yeah. me. Yeah, so I'm there would be that would be that would be a that would be a, a big issue, it. right? That would be a big issue to use miser money and the chora. It would seem you should do the same thing, the same idea that we just mentioned. Mm-hmm. That would be the smartest way to go about it, because then you're actively. Giving, you're actively giving the tzedakah, and the person is is uh, actively uh, uh, giving the money back. Okay.
Those are the layers. We covered a number of layers, but again, I just want to go back to the beginning of the shear, and there's, we'll, we'll spend some time uh, taking questions. There's so many things. Business expenses. Can I buy an ad when my, when my business is gaining from this? You know, about uh, using Meiser for that. But going back to how we started, and what, what the Meiser, what, what am I keeping in mind? What do I need to know to understand Meiser? What I need to know is that I am taking on a 10% investor in everything that I have. And that is HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And since the same way by any other investor, it has to be clear, it has to be solid, it, ha- it has to be defined, and it can't just be assumed. Like any payout, any dividends that I'm paying out to anybody who's investing in my business, that has to hold true with Meiser. And therefore, Meiser has to be something that's not assumed. It's something which is separated. Ideally, a separate account. Mark has other, you know, if, if it's, a, if it's a, another exact calculation or cheshben that you have, that's fine too. But it, the, the view has to be that there's a, there's a 10% investor who's waiting, for the, who's waiting for everything, from everything that I take home. That's and that's Hakadosh Baruch Hu, and that's and that's our mitzvah, and that's Taaser, that's Mazalcha, and that's the way that we're able to uh, to test uh, to test Hakadosh Baruch Hu. Okay, we'll hold it here and, and we'll take some questions.